children anticipate Christmas. They get excited about it, right? Um, when I was a kid, I got excited about Christmas. I think we have some pictures of me as a kid. Yeah, there's me at Christmas. There I am with a vacuum cleaner. Last time I ever used a vacuum cleaner, much to my wife's chagrin, right? She wishes I'd use it more. And that's my sister who's visiting here with us today. That's her bald head right there. Um, so yeah, I got really excited about Christmas. I longed for it. I got excited about it. And kids still do that. Sky uh, doesn't even understand what she's hoping for. She just knows it's excited. We look through toy catalogs and I go, do you need anything in here? And she points to every picture and she goes, need it need it, need it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've already ruined her. Um, and as much as I want to comment on commercialism and materialism and say, man, America has managed to make Christmas way too materialistic, these feelings of anticipation and hope are exactly what we should be feeling as we celebrate Jesus's birth. We call our Christmas series each year an Advent series. And Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, the arrival of someone special, or I like how one commentator described or explained what uh, ad Advent means. He poetically said it means he is on his way. At Christmas, we stop and remember that Jesus is on his way. He's left, he's on his way, he could show up at any moment. And Advent is both looking back at the anticipation of Jesus' first coming and looking forward to his final return as rightful king of the world. Now, this year we're doing something different. We've never done this before. We might burn down the art center and never do it again, but we're going to light a traditional Advent wreath each week. And so this week we're going to light the first candle, and then each week of Advent we're going to light another candle. I did not tell my boss we were having a live flame in the art center, so shh, nobody tell her, okay? Hopefully she doesn't watch online. We're exploring the in this series the traditional Advent messages of hope, peace, joy, and love, and the candle in the center represents Jesus. This first week, this first candle we lit is called the candle of hope, and it's sometimes called the prophecy candle, not because it can predict whether or not the Eagles will win the Super Bowl. You know, that would be cool, but it can't tell us that. It's called the prophecy candle because the Old Testament prophets carried on this hope that the king, literally the anointed one, the Messiah, would one day come. The prophets in the Old Testament were full of a hope that eventually the Messiah would come and solve their problems. The prophets were waiting, waiting on God's rescue plan for them and God's people. They talked about Jesus without knowing him. They were waiting and prophesying about someone they never lived to see. And these prophets wrote to people oppressed by foreign powers, people living in exile and dealing with famine, war, and the ravages of life. And the hope they had was there is a king that is coming, and he's going to set these wrongs right. They wrote messages of hope that a coming king would make the world right. The message of hope in a coming king is peppered throughout the Old Testament. But for Advent, many people look to Isaiah, the minor prophet or major prophet Isaiah. He spends so much time talking about the Messiah that some people have dubbed the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. This morning we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9 together. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest, as men rejoice when dividing plunder. 
For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders you've lifted, the rod of their oppressor you've driven away. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment that's been rolled in blood is destined for burning. It'll be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Yahweh Almighty will accomplish this. The big story of the Bible is about a king and a kingdom. It is about the ruler of earth pledging allegiance to heaven and as a result unleashing beauty and flourishing on earth. Genesis starts off with the human race, a man and a woman on the throne of this planet, ruling under the divine decree of God. And the entire Bible ends with a man, Jesus, and his bride, the church, ruling and reigning forever on earth under the divine decree of God. In between, though, we have all these stories of humans and Yahweh, some who side with him, they're like, yeah, I'm on your side. And some who side against him, and there's this back and forth pull of darkness and light. And we keep running into the same problem if you read through the Bible. The humans who take the throne always fail at bringing about the promised kingdom we all long for, where every wrong is set right and injustice is done away with. They all fail. Cain strikes his brother. Moses strikes the rock. David strikes Bathsheba's husband. Over and over again, we see a character, and we're like, is this person going to be the hero of the story? And they end up being just another villain. And this isn't that so much of our story. Like, even in our best moments, we still remember we have these moments of great depravity. We need a human king to sit on the throne, but humans are broken and bent. Every time we read a story in the Bible, we see someone doing good, and we begin to hope, like, maybe this is the person who's in the kingdom of God, and so enters Jesus' stage left. <coughs> we traditionally celebrate Christmas around the winter solstice, at the end of the year, in December. Now, that's not because Jesus was born at this time, though. Jesus was not born in December. I'm sorry if this, like, breaks your mind a little bit. Most of the time markers were given in the story tell us he was probably born in the spring or summer because shepherds were out in the fields with their sheep. They didn't do that during the rainy winter season. We celebrate around the winter solstice because a couple hundred years after Jesus, the church decided to celebrate his birth then because they were reaching pagan tribes in Europe who um, they were bringing them the good news of Jesus. And these ancient missionaries were like, how can we tell them about who Jesus is? And they said, oh, I know, by incorporating it into these festivals they already had, like the winter solstice. And so these ancient pagans had holidays to celebrate the end of darkness, because at the winter solstice, the, the longest night has ended and the days start getting longer. And so they would celebrate that each year. And they said, hey, we should tie this into the story of Jesus. They tied that natural phenomenon into the cosmic phenomenon of Jesus. That in Jesus, the darkness is getting less and less and less. And in Jesus, the light is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Until one day, there will be a day so bright, the darkness will be gone forever. And the light will never end. The eternal day is getting longer. And the night is getting shorter and shorter. Jesus is our hope in the darkness. He is the hope that there is light ahead of us. Hope is a belief that there is good ahead of us. 
because of the character and nature of God. We might look around at our circumstances. We might look around at our past mistakes and think there is no light ahead. And we look at the character and nature of God and we say, because of him, not because of me, because of him, not because of my resources or my lack of resources, I know that there can be good ahead of me. Hope is the belief that the future will be better because Jesus is really alive, Jesus is really good, and Jesus is really at work in your life and your world and your family. If this morning you feel like you are in darkness and you can only imagine darkness ahead of you, please hear this. There is light and love around you that you cannot see. There are moments in life where it feels like there is nothing but darkness, and believe me, I've been there and I've felt that this year. There is light and love that the darkness can never touch and never take away from your future. King Jesus is coming. Because he came 2,000 years ago, we can be confident he will come again. They waited and waited for generation after generation for him to come, and he came. And we wait and long for the day he will return. At the end of the Lord of the Rings, I'm a big nerd, so you knew I was going to either quote Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, but it's Lord of the Rings today. At the end of the Lord of the Rings... When Sam and Frodo wake up and they think they've died, but actually the eagles saved them, and Gandalf walks in, and for, you know, two and a half books, they've thought Gandalf is dead, and Sam says, Gandalf, you're alive. Is everything sad going to come untrue now? In Jesus, we don't just believe that making him our king will mean he resurrects just our bodies. We believe making him king of the world means everything sad will come untrue. We believe it means he will resurrect our entire reality. We look forward to a day when everything sad will be made untrue. That's the hope of Advent. That's what we do at Christmas. That's why we stop from all our busyness and craziness and for a moment hang up lights and the whole world stops for a minute and remembers that God in human form will solve our most dire human problems. That's our hope in the arrival of Jesus, that our worst moments, our worst failures, our worst fears, our deepest griefs and tears will get woven into a story so good they will be redeemed. And we live in a culture that desperately needs hope, don't we? Historians and social commentators have noticed that our stories, like our books and our movies and our video games, all appear to be about post-apocalyptic societies. Have you noticed this? Like every TV show, every book, a new young adult novel comes out, it's like post-apocalyptic society. I'm like, haven't we done this to death? It seems as if our culture in the West can only imagine a future that looks like global ruin. Just think about how many movies about the future in the last 10 years are so bleak. We as a culture, as a generation, have very little hope for our future. Go back 50 years and people felt like technology and science and democracy would make the world move towards a utopia. Like today we get The Last of Us. I think we have a like, it's like a super depressing, you know, end of the world scenario. Everything's The Walking Dead or The Last of Us or The Hunger Games. There's like no hopeful future, right? They're all terrible futures. We're just going to run ourselves into the ground. Um, every movie now, I feel like it's the planet's destroyed. We've got to leave the Earth. You know, like everything's depressing. Go back 50 years ago. Remember the original Star Trek? At the time, it was really controversial because they had a Russian during the Cold War on the ship as part of the crew. 
They had all these different people who were actually fighting in the present, but in the future, they saw them as all working together. The entire planet would be working as this one shared space agency to share democracy with the universe. That was the vision 50 years ago. Now we're like, well, the world's probably going to be overrun with mushroom zombies, and you know, we're all going to be running. Like, we don't have a hopeful outlook for the future. Now every modern story taps into a deep ache. I think all of us have felt it in our culture, a deep sense that we're heading towards an unavoidable dystopia. Our world in this cultural moment desperately needs hope. These are just a couple of the headlines I saw this year. Um, the first one was about the crime in Philadelphia, especially the violence, has no solvable, has no solution. The second one I saw was about climate change is inevitable and we're all going to burn up. The third one I saw was about the end of democracy, that democracy is just over, it was an experiment and it's failed. Um, the fourth one I saw was, this from the Baltimore Leadership Movement, the average U.S. church in 2000 had 137 attenders. In 2020, the average U.S. church had 65 attenders. And I saw all these headlines and many, many more, and there's a common thread, a lack of Things are getting worse. Things aren't getting better. There's no solution. There's no hope. So how do we live as people of hope in a hopeless world that honestly often makes me feel like I am drowning in hopelessness? Many times our personal pains and losses and griefs and unfulfilled desires make us feel like we're drowning in hopelessness. What do we do? We don't do it by tricking ourselves into being hopeful. Have you ever tried this? Like, I'm just going to try real hard to be hopeful. It's like trying real hard not to be depressed or anxious. It doesn't work. You can't will yourself into it. You can't lie to yourself and say, even though I feel hopeless, I'm actually hopeful. You can't pretend to be hopeful. What passes for hope in a lot of churches is a naive optimism that things will go our way and I will be comfortable and safe if I keep the rules. Honestly, that's the Christianity I grew up with. I thought as long as I kept the rules, everything was going to go well for me. And the first real loss in my life, I realized you can do everything right and life can still be hard and painful and broken. We need a stronger hope, something stronger, something that will weather the disappointments and the pain of life. Because Jesus never promised an easy life if you become his disciple. It's natural for our hope to waver when life is hard or our own failures make us doubt. It's easy to feel hopeless when it doesn't look like any progress is being made, and in fact it looks like progress is going backwards, not forward. But the promise does not depend on us. The promise depends on him. He is faithful. He always does what he promises to do. Hope demands that we take a long, steady look at Jesus, and we find him trustworthy, even when we don't understand how we can go from where we are to where we need to be. Hope is inevitably tied to waiting, and I'm going to tell you something. I am terrible at waiting. If Darby's in my way for one second, I'm like, move out of the way. I got stuff to do. I got to get right through that. I got. She's like, just give me a second to step aside. I'm like, no, no, no. I got to go right through you because I've got a mission and I've got to get it done. And I hate waiting. I despise it. Like, I would rather go 10 miles out of my way than wait in a three-minute line right in front of me. It doesn't make sense. I just hate waiting. It feels like I'm wasting time. Um, my little girl hates waiting, too. So we're trying to tell her, like, you have to wait. And she'll go, waiting, waiting. And then she's like, she's so antsy, she can't stand it. She'll be like, I need my milk now. And we're like, waiting, learn waiting. I said, life is all about waiting. And she looks at me like, 
mm, you're not very good at it, Daddy. And she's right, I'm not. We want things now, and when we don't get them immediately, we get disappointment, and disappointment always kills hope. We have to hope standing up. Hope isn't passive. Hope is active because we expect good. We work hard. We keep going. We keep trying because we know what we do matters because who is for us and with us, he loves us and he's working good. Tertullian, the early church father, said, hope is patience with your lamp. Let light your lamp and then be patient for God to show I think the early church father Tertullian was on to something. We keep hope alive by learning patience and taking steps to anticipate the arrival of what we are hoping and longing for. Celebrating Christmas or Advent every year is a way to tap into this cosmic hope for King Jesus to return and wipe away every tear, every injustice, and right every wrong. It's this hope to heal our world. And sometimes our hopes in this life are fulfilled. I know earlier this year I gave up all hope that I would see my daughter ever again. And she's back there playing with blocks today despite, you know, that first week I had hope. The second week, my hope drained. The third week, my hope was like barely hanging on. And then I was without any hope at all. And I said, I will never see this little girl again. And despite that, she came back to me. Not all stories end like that in this world. But we know that one day when Jesus returns, every story will end like that with our hopes fulfilled despite all our hopelessness. It's not tragedy that ruins us, it's hopelessness that ruins us. When we lose our sense that what we do matters, that we have a role to play in bringing about a better future, when we lose the sense that we have a God who is with us and for us and loves us, that's when we lose the battle. The enemy cannot defeat us because Jesus already won the war. The enemy only wins when we surrender, when we lose our hope, when we give up, when we stop fighting, when we say nothing matters anymore because it's all going to end in ruin commanders. Um, I used to read a lot of historical fiction, especially about battles. I don't know, because as a young man, I thought that was really cool to read about. Um, commanders in battles, though, throughout history, always say the same thing. Even the smaller force could win against a larger force if they had the morale that made them sense that they were on the winning side and could win the battle. As soon as a side felt like they were losing, even if they had superior forces and strategic placement, as soon as they felt like they were losing, all of a sudden the, the, uh, the whole battle shifted. The enemy knows this, of course, the devil, the Satan, and I think that's why he attacks our hope first. Richard Rohr says the theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure to live without resolution, and to still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. I don't like living without closure. I like closure. Every once in a while I start watching a show on uh, TV, maybe on Netflix, and I really get into it, and I'm like figuring out all the, the story, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be really good, and then it ends on a cliffhanger, and Netflix says, yeah, we canceled that show. Not enough people watched it. You'll never know how it's going to end, and I'm like, no, you've destroyed my life. I need closure. I don't know what's going to happen. I hate the lack of closure, but Richard Rohr says, hope is a willingness to believe in the person of Jesus, to find our source in him. And even if that doesn't mean we have closure in this life, a belief that one day all hopelessness, all grief, all despair will find closure in his rule and reign. 
The prophets who wrote about Jesus, like Isaiah, never got to see him come. It was hundreds of years later, but they trusted God would bring him. They wrote down what he said to them, and they said, even though we're not going to get to see it, we believe it. We might not live to see Jesus' return. We may not live to see Jesus bring hope into our specific circumstance. But we live with that same anticipation that we can trust God to do what he says, even if we're not there to see it. So... In the meantime, we live and love like Jesus, believing that his kingdom is here and not fully yet realized, and that he is coming to take up his throne. And whether it happens in my life or long after I'm gone, I'm working for him and his kingdom, and that's a life well spent. That's an investment in hope. And that's why we hang wreaths and decorations and decorate trees and hang up lights and give gifts and sing and laugh and spread joy at this time of year we're anticipating the arrival of king jesus when every day will be christmas forever that's why we stop once a year and we celebrate and we have parties and we eat cookies and we have all this fun and we sing carols and songs It's because we're reminding a world in darkness that the darkness is getting smaller and that the day is getting brighter and that light will reign forever because Jesus is coming and hopelessness does not win. The world does not end in a dystopia. It ends in a utopia with Jesus on the throne and us beside him forever and ever with no more death and no more tears, no more suffering and everything we lost somehow found. If you're desperate this morning, if you're worn out and hopeless, I beg of you, don't give up hope. Jesus sees you. He still is with you. There is still hope. And I think that if Jesus wants to say anything to us this morning, it's this, be hopeful. The darkness does not win. The night ends and day is coming. I want to end just with a paraphrase of Isaiah's prophecy that we read at the beginning. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of shadow, in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned on them. You have filled the earth with joy. You defeated all the oppressors. The powerful and the unjust are toppled. Every weapon of war, every piece of armor, every bullet, gun, and missile have been melted down. For to us a king has come. And all governments and rulers will submit to him, for he is a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. His rule and reign of peace will be forever and ever. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness forever. The love of Yahweh for the world will accomplish this. And so we pray, come quickly, King Jesus. Lord Jesus, we stop As we enter this time of Advent, for the next four weeks, we're preparing our hearts and our minds to receive you, to remember that you came, and to look forward to your coming. We have hope. Not because I have the skills to work out any problem, not because I have the resources to work out every problem. I have hope because there is a king who is coming who will set right every wrong. God, I'm grateful for the times you invade my story and set wrongs right right now, right here. I love that. And I long for the day when you would do that with every problem, every issue, every pain in the world. We look forward to your coming. And we join the chorus of the Old Testament prophets who said, Come, Messiah, come rescue us, anointed one of God. And we join the New Testament authors as they cry, Come quickly, King Jesus. Come and set up your kingdom. It's here, but not fully realized yet. It's just starting to crop up in a few people in a few places across.
those today who have sad things in their lives.